Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. We have been spending time over the last several weeks uh, thinking through why Jesus was so insistent on what we have called the one another's, 59 of them in the New Testament. Um, it was among the last words that he spoke on his way out the door. Within 12 hours of his being executed, he was concerned not about him, but about us, and whether we would have the wherewithal to hold it together, together, uh, as he was not there, the glue that had held us together. Um, and last week we talked about this, um, the, the, the reason we are so shattered and broken, and, and the reason Jesus' prayer and comments and really commands Uh, were so important was um, because we chose to disconnect from our identity, from the source of our identity, from God. And uh, breaking out of that, we lost track of who we were and thus inevitably lost track of who our brothers and sisters were around us. 
and we began to hide from ourselves, from others, in shame and fear. We began to other others as a way of self-protection, as a way of, um, uh, of, of, of hiding. And we weaponize rather than celebrate difference, whether it's racial or ethnic or language or age or education, socioeconomic status, whatever means, whatever little scraps of power or identity are available to us that are not anchored in him, we grab a hold of them and try and get piles of it together so that we can protect ourselves from, from the others that we ought to be doing life with instead. And this past week, as you probably are aware, is just another case study that has uh, sent ripple effects again and again and again. We're in between verdicts, almost waiting for uh, another verdict coming down here in the next few days uh, that threatens similar kinds of, of identifications and, and othering. And uh, I think it's fair to say in our congregation here that the news of this past week and the anxiety concerning the news of next week lands in different places with different members of our community. Some of us are oblivious. Some of us are saying, I don't know what's going on. I need to stay silent on it. Others of partially informed feel necessary to all caps our opinion everywhere. Uh, and others of are just saying, Again? Really? Okay. Justice needs to now for now on be put in air quotes. And I want to pray for everybody in that context, but particularly for those who feel the weight of this in ways that others of us do not feel at all. And um, I, I don't... Um, suppose that I can do that without at least possibly offending somebody, so I'm just going to go for it. And if you're offended, take it up with Jesus. I'm serious. I don't mean that facetiously. If you're triggered, if you're anxious, uh, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to get at today. And I want, you to, I want you to take advantage of that defensiveness. I want you to take advantage of that triggering and lean in and ask Jesus, what's that about in me? Not what's that about out there? What's that about in me? Because I want to be useful going forward. And so let's pray together. Lord, um, I, I recognize as we step into this that um, there are just so many angles at which to come at this particular issue. We've talked to you a lot today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're talking back. You're speaking to us at the core levels. And I just, I, I just find it in my heart to pray again for our nation. Uh, yet another example of the bifurcation, the splits that are occurring, and the anger with which they are occurring, the way that we are, are pulling ourselves apart at the seams. We have lost trust in all of our institutions. We've lost trust in... Um, the, the political systems, we've lost trust in law enforcement, we've lost trust in all three branches of the government, we've lost trust everywhere. And when trust is fragmented at the center, it is no wonder the edges start to vibrate out. And Lord, I, maybe this is part of your grand scheme to bring us back to you, I don't know. I don't have any revelation of that, I just know, oh Lord, that my heart is broken. Uh, 
And, uh, and particularly, Lord, for those who look uh, on this on the outside and from the standpoint of black skins and brown skins really come to the conclusion that justice works differently for other people than it does for them. And if this were the only instance of, of, of that kind of misunderstanding or that kind of understanding, it would be one thing, but it isn't. Example after example after example piles on and piles on and piles on. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters of color, particularly today, that you would wrap your arms around them and you would let them know that you stand with them. And I pray, O oh Lord, for our systems that have gotten so fragmented and broken and influenced by money and politics and all kinds of other things that we have that, that fall under the category of mammon. And I pray, O oh Lord, against any of the systems, principalities and powers that are at work against your plan in this world. Uh, Lord, we don't have the luxury of standing back and watching it burn. You have sent us as first responders, as ambassadors of hope and help. And I pray that you would help us to step into that uh, role as your people. We don't have the luxury of identifying with one side or another. We are aligned with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I pray that we would be kingdom people in this cultural moment in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, as we look at the cost of what it meant for you to be a kingdom bringer and get some sense of what it's likely to cost us to follow in your wake, I pray that we will step up to the task in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I will say, too, uh, I'm probably going to go past the 1130 mark. Uh, so if you've got kids, uh, we want to be good stewards of the gifts we have in our child, uh, in our children's ministries program. Uh, so feel free to get up and leave, uh, either for your kids or because I ticked you off. <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, Jesus is not unaware of the brokenness in our systems, and he comes not to fix our systems, but to destroy them completely. Jesus did not come to make your life better. He came to kill you so that he could give you real life. Does, does that make sense? That's why you're invited with a BYOC. You're going to need your cross, and you're going to need it daily. So here he begins, Mark chapter uh, 1. I'm going to move through these fairly quickly because they make similar points. John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the kingdom, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. It's within your grasp. Repent. The verb tense here is literally be repenting. It's an ongoing action. And be believing into the good news. So here's what repentance looked like. Jesus walked alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Here's the story I want you to land on. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without a delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee 
in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Whoever does God's will is my mother, brother, sister, and, and mother. Just underlining that passage, that idea. So you have this sequence here moving very quickly. First, Jesus comes in proclaiming and by proclaiming, it's a prophetic announcement of the availability of the kingdom. In his speaking, the kingdom becomes available. People can step into it now. It's the same word that is used when God said, let there be light. So that idea, something brand new is being birthed in this moment. The kingdom is available for entry and it will cost you repentance. Repentance doesn't mean to feel bad. It means to change the direction of your life in the light of the new reality. The new reality, the kingdom is available for entry now. Don't live as if it weren't. What does it look like? Peter James or Peter and Andrew leave the nets and follow. The one I want you to land on, though, is James and John, who left their father Zebedee. I cannot think of a more egregious example of the idea of repentance than this particular one, because family was everything. To leave their father and follow Jesus indicates the priority of the kingdom over family. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters. I don't want to overstate this, uh, but I, I, we, we need to be careful at the idolization of family. We need to be careful about the idolization of our children. Because in idolizing either our families or our children, we make them opponents to the work and way of the kingdom. I mentioned this to you last week, but the goal of having children is to get rid of them. <laughs> in other words, to raise them in such a way that they can feel completely comfortable to leave you in the dust with the boats and the fish and follow Jesus wherever he's going. This is the radical nature that Jesus, from the get-go, he is not messing around. This is two minutes after he started his ministry. And he invites them to reorient their lives in such a way that the rest of the culture looks at them and says, are you out of your ever-loving minds? It would not be a bad thing if Jesus had only done it once. But he doubles down on it repeatedly, using specifically this example. The next one is in Mark chapter 3. Jesus' mother, his brothers, had arrived. They stood outside. They sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked around and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Had he not been 30 years old, he could reasonably have been taken into custody and executed for such statements. To, to, to speak in a culture that defined family as preeminent over everything, the primary definer of identity, both past and future, is unthinkable. And Jesus does it repeatedly and invites them into this new reality. This most basic building block of identity is superseded by the fact that those who do the will of my Father, who are allegiant to God, who are marked by obedience. By the way, remember how we got out of whack in the first place. We were disobedient. 
How do you think we're going to get back into alignment in the second place? By being obedient, by following the way and the work of, the, of, of God and the will of God. And, and, and again, this, this core of self-understanding needs to be radically readjusted and realigned in alignment with the, with the Father. Here he goes again. In Luke chapter 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry even their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and and estimate the cost to see if you have enough resources to complete it? If you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person has begun to build and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a a king is about to go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Anybody want to guess why they killed him? They didn't kill Jesus because he healed people and provided McDonald's in the desert. They killed Jesus because he said stuff like this. It wasn't the pagans that killed him. It was the folks who had invested in a system that was going down who killed him. So he begins with this, again, this outrageous statement, uh, these identities, father, mother. And, and you know, the language of hate here is the language of hyperbole. It's the language of gross exaggeration. Jesus doesn't mean you to disdain your brothers and sisters and mother and father. What he means is your alignment to him in love is such that all other allegiances are viewed in second, third, fourth, and 53rd place. This heart orientation relativizes all and any other heart orientations to the point of obscurity. This is the definer of reality. This is the lens through which you look at the rest of those. Do you see? So, and, and, and again, this is so critical because if we get the telescope turned around the wrong way and we look at Jesus through the lens of our priorities, our politics, our, our, our ethnicity, our race, you see where this is going. If we look at Jesus through the lens of those things that are no longer the markers of our identity, we will wonder why he's not big enough for the problems our life has presented to us. But if we will turn it around and look at those things through the lens of the lordship of Jesus Christ, then we will begin to get a glimpse for the hope that lies in the world. Tomorrow, next week rather, is the beginning of Advent, and I get to come back again and talk to you a little bit about hope. And I'm going to suggest to you, spoiler alert, that hope cannot be in outcomes. Hope has to be in Jesus I'm going to suggest to you, however, that it is not for Jesus, but in Jesus that we have hope. 
The reason? If you have hope for Jesus, you will construct a Jesus to provide you just enough hope to get you out of the doo-doo you got yourself in. If you have hope in Jesus, you'll follow him wherever hope leads. Do you see where we're going? So here he invites us into that same reality. If you, if you, if you think that I've come to put a, a veneer of nice over your otherwise satisfactory lives, you got another thing coming. I didn't come to do that. Here's, here's the, the image here. If you want to build a tower, count the cost. If you don't want to follow, don't follow. So we talked about the cost of discipleship. Brothers, sisters, as we were reminded this morning, we got to talk about the cost of non-discipleship. It costs you more not to follow Jesus, can I get a witness, than it does to follow him. This last week has demonstrated, this last year has demonstrated, this last decade has demonstrated, these last few millennia have demonstrated. It is costly to get out of alignment with the king and creator of the universe. No wonder the wheels are coming off. No wonder the wheels are coming off. It's only, and this is the crazy part that I can't figure out, it's only because of our image of God creative capacity that we have figured out a way to duct tape ourselves to this point. Isn't that crazy? We have used our image of God identity, our creativity, our imagination, the wonder of our being human, to figure out ways over and over and over again to fix the things we broke, not realizing, of course, the unintended consequence digs us deeper and deeper and deeper. This is why we need a savior that calls us to repentance. When he tells us this story of the king going out to war against another king with 10,000 versus 20,000, Jesus is not thinking he's giving us bad news. He's thinking he's giving us good news. It is not too late. Because the thing is, when you have, you are so outnumbered, your kingdom is going down. Wouldn't you like to know that before the final score? Especially when it's chance you have an opportunity to change kingdoms. Why in the world would you cling to your kingdom that is going sideways and down faster than you can imagine? It is circling the drain already. And here the superior king who is going to come and will predominate is inviting you to make terms of peace. What else is there left to do? Do you see what he's doing? Now, here's where it gets really tricky because that peace with him will inevitably result in us working towards peace with each other. So the point that I've been trying to make is this realignment that we, we broke it last week. This week, we're trying to realign. And Jesus says, we're going we're gonna to hit the do-over button. We're going to restore to the manufacturer's default. How are we going to do that? You're going to give up the life you have cobbled together. I'm going to raise you from the dead. And now you need to learn how to live with each other who also have been raised from the dead. Do you see where he's going here? The implications of this in our othering culture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, formerly... You were Gentiles by birth. You were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, 
You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, because he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew, Gentile, into one. He has destroyed the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility. He set aside in his own flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a brand new humanity out of the two and thus make peace. And in one body, reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached shalom, peace, to you who were far away, and shalom, peace, to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, none of you all are foreigners or strangers. Now you are all fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He decides who's in and who's out. He and he alone. In him then, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see what he's saying? Now, this is, this is a church that, that, that lived out any and all possible imagined divisions that you can get your heads around. It was, remember, there wasn't a second church of Ephesus. This was it. Owners of slaves and slaves worshiped together. All kinds of races and ethnicities. And we didn't, we have refined it in some interesting ways, but we didn't invent the othering of people based on color or based on socioeconomic status or based on gender. They, 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 we've been doing this for a long time, right? It, it, slavery was not invented by white people or black people. It was all y'alls will take whatever advantage you have over whatever difference you can identify to dominate another group for your socioeconomic advantage. And, 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 and <laughs> they are sitting in the congregation in Ephesus. You have temple prostitutes alongside with those who 10 minutes ago had been to the temple to visit the prostitute and who in that 10 minute interval, I'm exaggerating to make the point, had come to faith in Christ. Both groups sitting now side by side. Is there any way I can possibly overstate how divided this congregation ought to be naturally? Oh yes, one more. You have Jews who have been proud of their identity as, say it with me, the chosen people. 
and Gentiles who clearly are not chosen <laughs> sitting side by side. We have warrant from God to treat you all with disdain. Well, actually you don't. That's how you heard it. That's not what he said. You've leveraged your holiness into difference that dismisses the people, the reason for which you were holy. Holiness is usefulness. The reason you're holy is so you can be helpful. You're not holy so you can be special. Do, do you see what he's after? And here we are. They, they are in this community where, where we, have the, we, have, we have a piece of paper that God says we're supposed to hate y'all. Did you check the signature? Somebody forged it. Do, do you see? And, 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 now, and, and he's saying, he's, Paul's writing to these people and he's saying, none of you are anything worth talking about. All together, you're a bucket of spit. Jesus has come and flattened the ground at the foot of the cross. Everybody stands equally, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, free, female, all of the ways that you have subdivided yourself into categories of fear-based superiority, all of it is irrelevant. He's creating a new humanity in his own blood. Now, here's the deal. It costs Jesus to reunite us. His life. Anybody want to guess what it's going to cost you? It's not different. It's not different. Preferences, privilege, position, power. How are you using yours? Is it based in fear? Acquiring more so you can protect the tiny little life you have managed to carve around your specialness or is it all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give see here's Paul writing to yet another divided church in Christ Jesus Galatians chapter 3 you are all children of God through faith all of you we're baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. There's not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. Please notice, Paul is not saying those familiar ways of noticing have been forgotten. You can't, you're not all of a sudden not male or not female. He's saying your maleness and your femaleness and, and the variations that we have in our culture all of those are now defined by your being in Christ. You're not first male or female or something in between. You are first disciples in Christ, and that informs how you live as male and female or something in between. This is hard for us because we have attached identity to preference. We have attached identity to the external markers. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've got it upside down. We've got to right side this up. Your identity is in me. And how that works its way out through the other markers, you, you, you need to learn that from me in community. So if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs to the promise of God. We can fill in the 
blanks with our favorite tribal identifier. Whatever, whatever you have taken identity in, letterman in college, an athlete, a musician, an artist, an engineer, the thing you answer when somebody says, who are you? All of it goes down to the lordship of Jesus and is now reframed and redefined by that. How I live my life as, as a man, how I live my life as a white man, how I live my life as an old white man is framed by my allegiance to Jesus. Otherwise, that idol is going down. Here's why he said in the last 10 minutes of his life, so to speak, John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, wait, what? As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Can you think of any more holy space to stand in than the intimacy of the love shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus is setting a place at the table for you to come and sit in sweet fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, inviting you with the same look of love as the Father looked upon him. I can say the words, I don't know what I'm talking about. It is too holy. I, I can barely look into this mystery. Do you, do you know what I mean? Then he goes on and says, now remain in my love. How? Well, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be made complete. Joy is the capacity to do what Jesus is asking us to do. It's not happy. Joy is the capacity, the energy, the fuel cell that enables us to do what Jesus is asking us to do. And lest there be any question about what his commands are, my command is this, love one another. How? As I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Oh, the same way the Father loved him. Jesus loves us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are marked as my friends if you do what I ask you to do. Now, please notice where we started. At the beginning, Mark, Luke, he was saying, just do what I tell you to do. He wants us to get into alignment so that it's not an obedience birthed out of desperation. It's an obedience birthed out of love. Jesus isn't going to be content if you white-knuckle obedience. He wants our heart to be shaped by repentance, by the identity that we have. We're not servants, he says anymore. 
I've called you friends. A servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But you know, because I just told you. Now, are you in? He's almost vibrating with excitement. The joy that it will enable him to go through the cross, he wants you to have it, because you're going to need it as you take him seriously in obedience. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this is um, more than I can talk about, certainly more than I can understand, more than I know what to do with except to say, oh, Jesus, I want this more than anything else. I want to know you this way. I want to be loved by you this way. And I realize that in praying that, I am also committing myself to putting this into practice in my 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 relationships, my near and far relationships. Lord, there is no way else to define community except by love. Not orthodox belief, not correct doctrine, not shared political allegiances, not agreement on favorite ideologies, not the tribal identities of race or ethnicity or gender or age or socioeconomic status. Lord, you've asked us to put all of those things on the side and pursue you and let you define what it means for us to be any of those things. And I got to tell you, Jesus, this is really hard. Thank you that you showed us how to do it. You didn't die so that we wouldn't have to. You died so that we would know how to. And so we say to you in this place, hearts broken with what has broken your heart, all to Jesus. I surrender. All to him I freely give. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.
thoughts. We need your spirit, oh God, to stir. 